It's the Red Hot Real Estate Show, where we can all find out how's it going for buyers and sellers in the real estate market. I have died and gone to real estate heaven. Looking to move? Hoping to sell? Call in with your questions to real estate expert Mimi Shoneman with Remax Results. I'm going to go out and buy a house. Here she is, your host, Mimi Shoneman. Yes, she is here, Mimi Shoneman, your host of the Red Hot Real Estate Show and your super real estate agent and licensed realtor with Remax Results. Good morning again, Mimi. Good morning. And so you have been out there just cruising all over Minnesota, getting people into the houses of their dreams, right? Yes, we're busy. <laughs> I know. It's, nobody's paying any attention that I'm not happy with this stuff. <laughs> with the weather? Nobody asked me. You know, yeah, no, you just got to keep it moving because yep. there's a reason why it's called the Red Hot Real Estate Group and that has nothing to do with the temperature. But I'm not going to lie. Every time it does it, I'm like figuring out how I'm going to go get my Florida license. Uh, so. <laughs> we all yep. miss you. You got to stay here. Yeah. You're not allowed to leave I'll yet, come baby. Back. I'm, okay. I'm a little bit sad today because I actually had to take out the snowblower and do my driveway and oh. I'm going, come on. Come That's on, our people. friend Phil Olson. Our yeah, friend Phil Olson was from wham. Amic Home Loans. <laughs> Phil, I feel like though you're a Midwest dude. You should be accustomed to this. Listen, they live for that stuff. Don't <laughs> let them fool you. Uh, yeah, I am. It's like a party on a tractor. You want to know something though as you get older? What, Phil? The snow isn't as much fun. Ah, fair enough. You're like, I'm not going sledding. You didn't put on your cute snow pants and go out there. You actually had to shovel a walk, huh? No, I actually put my hunting gear on. Oh, really? So I was bright orange okay. this morning. Well, that's good. We won't lose you. We Phil. won't lose you. I'm glad to see. I'm glad to see you, Phil. Phil, can we start with a couple of numbers just to give them your M N M L S number? Get that out of the way, please. Sure. This is Phil Olson, Amic Home Loans, NMLS two three eight one zero three Branch NMLS three seven nine zero nine four Company NMLS one five zero nine five three. And Phil, we know that you do a great job helping people navigate what they have going on if they're trying to get into a home and that whole mortgage puzzle maker thing that you do, you know, and that is fantastic. But you also really do a great job of giving back to our community here in the Twin Cities. And so quite often when you are in here with Mimi, you'll go, okay, not only am I going to help you if you have a question on how to get a mortgage, but you also use that as an, uh, an opportunity to give back to uh, an organization here in the Twin Cities. Exactly. And uh, today I want to give back to the Union Gospel Mission. And we just did a uh, charity fundraiser for them. And today I'm going to, for every phone call that comes in to my special guest here, Todd Davis, which I'll introduce here in a second, I'm going to give back $50 to the Union Gospel Mission. So we'd love to have lots of appraisal questions today. And that is perfect because the Union Gospel Mission, if you're not familiar, they do do some great work here in the two cities to help uh, people that are dealing with homelessness and poverty. And especially during this time of the year, it is great to be able to do a little bit more and get some information that you probably Probably needed anyway. Absolutely. So you can kill two birds with one stone. Exactly. So, Phil, who do we have in studio, our special guest today? Well, great friend of mine, Todd Davis. Known Todd for almost 15 years now. He's been he's an elite appraiser here in the city. He's been doing it for 18 years. I cannot tell you the number of times I've picked up the phone to call him and ask him a specific question that maybe a consumer had or I had a question on the lending side. And he's just a uh, a valuable asset with all the information he knows. So, Todd, welcome. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. Mimi, Shannon. Um, I got the call from Phil just a couple days ago, and I thought, well, it'd be a great opportunity to provide a little insight for people that doesn't know what an appraiser does and 
what our processes are. And you know? I hate to be a naysayer, but Todd, I feel like most people don't know what an appraiser does. I feel like with one of those things when we talk about this every week on the Red Hot Real Estate Show, we use the word and then the appraisal and then there, will it get this and what's it appraised at? But we really don't always have an expert in the building to explain what the actual process is that you do, Todd. Yeah, it's I, I get that a lot, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, we are the one entity in the whole real estate transaction process that, I mean, to be quite frank, we don't care. <laughs> I love it. The, what do you mean by that? The, the, That's the buyer, right there. The seller wants to sell the home. The buyer wants to buy it. The real estate agent wants their commission. Right. And the loan officer wants to their, get the deal done. Loan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An appraiser just wants his appraiser fee, and whatever the value of the house <laughs> is, is of no difference to us. We're the only ones. Ah, yeah. got it. So, mm-hmm. how do you become an appraiser? Like, how do you get that certification? What do you do? Well, I can tell you that today it's much harder than it used to be. Okay. But when I got my uh, license, you first have to attend, I believe it's 2,000 hours of uh, education. Okay. Um, I did mine through a company that no longer exists now. Mm -hmm. But um, you then, after you take your classes, you have to pass the trainee test. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you then have to work under a supervisor appraiser. And right. that's the part that makes it hard today. It's no longer a good incentive to train new appraisers like oh, it used to be. Okay. And so the average age of an appraiser is about 55, 60 years old. Okay. So then after you get your license, once you've accumulated 25 hours of supervised work, you can then take your certified test. And I stopped at that level. I'm a certified real property appraiser. Okay. Licensed only in the state of Minnesota. You can also become a certified general appraiser, which then would allow you to appraise commercial property. But I have... I've never ascended to that level. Okay. And I do think that that's interesting. And I'm glad to hear that there are so many hours that involve because you kind of don't want to have this idea of it's just some... Yahoo that just shows up and goes, I think it's worth $75,000 and walks away. You like to know that there is a methodology and a studied practice to what it is that you do in the appraisal process is actually very soothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the SNL crisis of the early eighties is what brought upon what, what our standards and practices are, are now today. Okay. It used to be a member from the bank would go out to the house and say, okay, the borrower's credit's good. The house is in good shape. Okay, it's worth 200000 Oh, okay. But well, that's definitely not the case anymore. Well, I can tell you uh, before, I've I've had refinances where before the, the rules changed, and Phil, you probably can speak to this a little bit more too with the Dodd-Frank and all, all of that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could at one point pick the appraiser that we wanted to have do things for our house. So if we were refinancing, we could, you know, call in and get references, but those those days are different now. So, Phil, can you talk a little bit about how things changed? Well, what ended up happening is I believe that's when USPAP, be it a federal regulation, came into play, and Dodd-Frank also came into play. And that's now uh, mortgage lending, mortgage loan officers, we are required to go through what's called an AMC. And basically, it's it's kind of a hub service where there's a company that will have maybe 50, 100, 200 different appraisers at their at their basic beck and call. And then they basically hire out that appraiser for that specific job. And I have no contact with the appraiser, which in my opinion is outstanding because you 
there's the opinion of the appraiser is not going to be affected by anybody in the transaction. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So let's just back it up in case uh, somebody's listening and they've never had a real estate transaction or they don't know what an appraiser does or who they are. or What are we talking about? So this is a real estate and mortgage show. And in the transaction of buying property, when you have to have a mortgage, there is you have to it's required to have an appraisal unless somebody is paying cash um, and then you can opt to not get an appraisal. Um, so you were talking a little bit about an AMC. Mm-hmm. So I think just to clarify that a little bit before all of the changes, like I could just call up Todd and say, Todd, you know, are you free? You know, what are your rates? Could you come out and appraise my house? I'm getting it refinanced. But now um, because of the arm's length, they created what's called that AMC that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And so when the consumer gets ready to to go through the process with you, Phil, for the mortgage. So then you don't, you don't have any contact with the Todd's of the world. No, I I don't. Um, As far as what happens is on a buy transaction, refinance transaction, we actually place an order with the AMC company. They would then hire, maybe they would hire Todd, maybe they hire somebody else. And then once the appraisal's completed, I will know who the appraiser is. Now, under specific guidelines, we can actually have a conversation with that appraiser, but that would have to be, you know, far down the road after the appraisal comes back. And it has maybe something to do with, uh, hey, I need some information. You're saying these things need to be fixed on the house, but it cannot be a conversation concerning value, price, none of that type of stuff. Right. And so as a listing agent, I will also know uh, because through our appointment management system, Uh, When the appointment comes in for the house to be appraised, I will be privy as the listing agent to know who the appraiser is and when that's going to happen. And um, we can talk about when we come back from the break a little bit about what that looks like um, and also talk about what the difference is between a comparative market analysis and an appraisal. Because I get asked all the time, hey, could you do an appraisal for me? And I cannot do that because I am not a licensed or certified appraiser. (laughs) We can also take your questions. Remember, if you call in with your question today, if you have a mortgage-related question, a real estate-related question, or an appraisal-related question, our good friend Phil Olson from Amec Home Loans has decided that he is going to donate $50 to the Union Gospel Mission and will also give you that great information. Again, the the number is 651-641-1071. That's 651-641-1071. We'll be right back on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show with Mimi Shoneman from Remax Results, your super real estate agent. Also in town, I'm sorry, also in studio, Phil Olson from Amec Home Loans is here. And we have someone to explain and demystify the appraisal process for us. Todd Davis is here as well. We're taking your calls here on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. If you call us at 651-641-1071, not only will we give you the information and answer your question, we are also going to donate $50 to the Union Gospel Mission, courtesy of our friend, Phil Olson and Amec Home Loan. So thank you, Phil. Would love to donate a lot of money. And Todd, I know we need to get back into giving kind of a, de- a description of what the differentiating factor is between what you do as an appraiser and how people kind of confuse that with some of the other parts of the process when we're going through the, who's going to come look at my house and tell me how much it costs? 
Well, you know, I think that a lot of people get confused from the beginning because there are so many terms Mm -hmm. that we're throwing at them that they've never heard before um, in the whole process. And so when we do our buyer consultation, we start talking about the appraisal process right then that that's going to happen. And then I know when Phil has his consultation with buyers and sellers, he's also talking about that. But Phil, go ahead. And you were talking during the break about the things that you think that people get confused about. Well, I, I can't tell you the number of times where my, the client, I say, well, we need the appraisal. And they go, well, we already had our home inspection. And I go, well, now we're talking two different things. Okay. The home inspection is to determine the viability of the specific property. The appraisal, yes, it determines viability of the property, but at the same point in time, it determines the exact value of the property for lending purposes. And I know, Todd, you get that question all the time as well. Mm -hmm. Basically, to to simplify it, my job as the appraiser is to estimate what a equally motivated buyer would pay you as an equally motivated seller. On the day I inspect your property, what would they pay you for that property? Okay, so I do have a question. Mm -hmm. So we're all human, and we're all affected by visual stimulation. So... A property that let's just say we took two identical builds. We're in Bloomington and we've got a 1950s Rambler and they're exact same square feet. Okay. So one of them, they've taken the time to update and remodel on the inside. And the other one is the original owner and it's got the same fixtures that came from the 50s. And you're going in. And so the one that has not done any updates, they know that their next door neighbor has and they're concerned about that. How do you, as the appraiser, look at two properties like that for valuation? Well, the comparable sales is quite simply, um, it, it would be my task at that point would be, be to, to find comparable sales in the area that have both been remodeled like their neighbor's home and that are in original condition like their home. The difficulty with that, though, is as the appraiser, I am not allowed to go inside the comparables. I can only go inside the subject. So there is a lot of assumptions that are made. Your your um, comments in that comment section yes. on the MLS listing is very important. The photos you take are very important. That helps me determine what class or what level of condition this property is in. And then you can kind of look at what the sale prices are of the ones that have been remodeled versus the ones that are in original condition. Right. And I think it's also um, really important to provide your appraiser or have your real estate professional do so a list of the improvements that you made, what year you made them and what you spent on that. I think that you would find that helpful, right? Absolutely. Um, I can't tell you how much it's helped me provide an accurate valuation when I've been provided the history of the home, especially with the, with the homeowner. Right. And even before and after pictures could be helpful. Yes. I've reviewed those as well too. Right. Very helpful. Mimi, Phil, Todd, I think I have a caller that has a similar question that we can go to. We always encourage people to be part of the Red Hot Real Estate Show at 651-641-1071. Melinda, thank you very much for calling the show today. Hey, Melinda, thanks for calling. What's your question? Hi. First of all, I want to say thank you for donating to the Union Gospel Mission. Um, I really appreciate that. Well, thank My you. My question is for, for the appraiser. <clears throat> we have about a 10-year-old home in the northern suburbs that's valued about $300,000. is just an estimate based on the tax thing that we get in the mail. 
We are looking at adding a three to four stall second garage for workshop and storage. And my question is, will our house be valued higher because of the second garage or will we lose our equity um, by building this um, second garage on our property? That's a very good question. Thank you, Melinda. Um, a lot of it depends on what you had originally. What, what current garage do you have right now? It's a three-stall garage attached to the house. Okay. Garages are one of those things in kind of the appraisal and real estate world that if you have a new garage versus an older garage, you're not getting a whole lot of value, extra value out of that. So if you already have a three-car garage, and are you replacing it or adding on? No, we're building a separate um, detached garage on okay. the back of our three-acre property. Okay. So you have three acres. That does change things a little bit. Um, acreage properties like yours, kind of an expectation for buyers is that you have outbuildings. And mm -hmm. if you already have a three-car garage now, that's what is typical for most homes, especially in the suburbs, is three-car garages. But with that acreage property, adding the outbuilding, that, that does increase the value of your property. However, the percentage of it, the increase when compared to the cost it will it, you'll incur for building it is going to be significantly less. Um, Can you give us a percentage on that, Todd? Outbuildings, I... You're, you're not. You're probably talking approximately twenty-five to forty percent, depending on where exactly you're located, the type of outbuilding you construct, and what is kind of the norm for your immediate area. Um, it's not a lot. It it it's. I'm I'm assuming probably less than you may have thought. You and know, I don't understand yeah. what you mean by the percentage. So sorry, Melinda. Do you mean the percentage of the overall value of the property, or or just the addition? The the increase. So if okay. So let's say the outbuilding cost thirty thousand to construct. I'm oh, estimating. I, <laughs> well, I just threw that number out there. My estimate for how your property would increase in value would be, I. I below $15,000, probably okay. somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000. And that's an immediate return, right? Right. And what about over a 10-year window of time? Same thing? Same percentage? It, it's kind of hard Maybe. to say. It depends on the, on the percentage of price increase per year. Again, where you're located and what is expected in the area and what is typical. Uh, there's a lot of variables that go into it. That's why my estimate is between 25 and 40%. It's not tighter than that. So, Melinda, do the, do the properties in your immediate area within a five-mile radius have outbuildings? Um, some do, some don't. In our immediate neighborhood, we're in a homeowners association, so um, we have very few because they have very strict standards. They have to match the house. Um, the siding and the uh, roof line and that kind of thing. So they are more expensive to build. But we're, we're surrounded by some more rural area, and I do see outbuildings on most of those. But they're older farmhouses, um, that kind of thing. And so what is the purpose that you're building these extra two stalls? Oh, my husband. <laughs> so he needs the room anyway. Is that basically you're, it? Right. You're doing a man cave. Right. We got it. Mm -hmm. All right. He wants. He, wants he needs a workshop. Store. He's got some things he wants to 
restore some vehicles, uh, some old vehicles, and then he wants to start to work on them. So he'll have a workshop for um, his vehicles also. Well, thank you so much for the call. Great call. Um, yes, thank you. Great question, Melinda, and good luck on that build. And send us a snap when it's done so we can post on Facebook. Okay, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Melinda. Thank you. I think that's an outstanding question. I get that question a lot. And those types of properties are hard to comp, aren't they? Very hard. Yeah, yep. because you're you're hunting for, uh, like if she said, well, if I have this, so then you're looking for ones that don't have the outbuildings versus ones that do. And if you're limited within the last six months of how many you know properties have that, how do you handle that? You keep expanding your search radius, and then you have to account for things like uh, locational differences, time differences. Um, it's a challenge, and that's why we call it an estimate of value, is we can provide all the data and look up all the research, and we can attach a value, but it might be the wrong timing, and someone may not pay that much that day for that property. Right. But yes, rural properties are difficult because the properties itself are spread apart, mm-hmm. And those spread apart properties, only certain percentage have sold in the last six months. And they're mm-hmm. very different from one another. Mm-hmm. Right. Very yeah. unique from each other. Okay. Well, let, let's just say you did an appraisal today and the beautiful comp comes two weeks down the road and it's $100,000 in value. Okay. Difference than what you just appraised the property. Do you see that happening sometimes? Uh, it's not very often, but it does happen. It, it does. And, but you almost have to look at that and think that might be an outlier situation. Sometimes the buyer finds the perfect property and they will pay whatever without, with, without regard for what is currently market, the market value, they want that property. And so sometimes you have, you'll look at some that say, gosh, how did this sell for that much? You know, cause I'll be looking at them. And I'll see the list of comps and, and I'll, so they must have found the right buyer for that one. That happens. Right. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a property is special and so unique that it's almost impossible to comp. And so I think that when we come back from the break, let's talk a little bit about some of the unusual properties and how those are handled. Great. All right. And we'll also willing to take your questions, of course, at 651-641-1071. We'll be right back on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Thank you for listening to the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Mimi Shoneman, your Red Hot Real Estate expert and licensed realtor with Real, Real Remax Results is here. Also, Phil Olson from Amec Home Loans. And we're joined by our friend, a professional appraiser, Todd Davis, has joined us this morning. And we're taking your questions at 651-641-1071. That's 651-641-1071. We're going to go to the phone soon, so thank you for calling and just hold on. But, Phil, we were going to go back uh, over some information that you're doing talking to Todd about. Well, what we were talking about here during the break is we were talking about what's called uh, external obsolescence. Can you tell us what that is, Todd? Well, the term obsolescence itself is strictly, quite simply, something that negatively affects the value of your property and you can't do anything about it. You can't remodel, you can't repair, you can't add on. Nothing will change that negative impact. Give us some examples. External obsolescence, the, the most common one I run into as an appraiser is your, your property is located on a busy road. Okay. Very quite simply. Um, other examples would be um, located next door to a Home Depot 
or uh, large the the large uh, power lines that go through some neighborhoods. Um, that's external obsolescence. But there's also functional obsolescence, and there's many examples of that. But that's a situation where the cost to repair or fix the negative impact in your home would exceed the value increase or the the ability to make it fully marketable mm-hmm. than uh, what you would get in a resale. People may do it anyway, but that cost is still considered obsolescence and because so what, you come out at a loss. What kind of examples would that be of what people might want to do, but that may not be worth it to them? Uh, yeah. Uh, one example would be, I run into this in um, Stillwater. Mostly where Stillwater has homes that were built in the 1840s and 1850s. And you have a two-story home and on the main floor you have, you know, the living room, the dining room, kitchen. And the only bathroom in the house is behind the kitchen. Because in the 1800s they construct homes, they, the plumbing all came into one spot in the home. And you, didn't, you couldn't really put bathrooms anywhere else or anything else with, with water you know, fixtures, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you have a second floor with three bedrooms and there's no bathroom up there because they can't, the cost to add a bathroom uh, would, would be significant and it would not bring it the value of the home to mark, to, to marketability for the rest of the neighborhood. That's a great example. So mm-hmm. let's take some of our calls. And we do have some questions that include some additions to the house, but let's start with Linda. Linda, thank you for calling the Red Hot Real Estate Show. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. We appreciate you calling. So let's go ahead. And what's your question? Um, My question for the appraiser is my husband and I are getting ready to downsize and we own a home whose value is about 900,000 and uh, our garden or uh, lower level walkout basement, excuse me, is um, it has all of the uh, electrical, mechanical, roughed in plumbing, that sort of thing, but we've never finished it off. We've never done the design aspects to it, so it's just a roughed in uh, space. What we want to know is in the sale of the house, would we regain more or recapture more investment by doing, redoing the basement, adding an extra bathroom and um, bedroom, et cetera, or are we better off selling it and letting somebody else see the possibilities and do that themselves? That's a great question, Linda. Todd? Yeah, Linda, I was really hoping someone would cover this topic. The short answer is don't touch anything. (laughs) Here's why. Whenever whenever I'm inspecting a home and I'm talking with the homeowner, a question like yours is very common in, in, in many different ranges of what they need. But the first thing I always ask someone is, why are you doing this remodeling? Why do you want to do that? Okay. In your case here, you're downsizing. You're moving out, correct? Right. Yes. Okay. So you're going to be remodeling and putting money into your home for somebody else. I see. At which point I say, do not do that. Because the immediate return on your remodeling is going to be less than the increase your property will, will get. Okay. So if, let's say it takes you, well, for a $900,000 home, what you're talking about, you're, you could be talking seventy five dollars to $100,000, depending on what you're putting in. I have quite a bit more, I think. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And the value you're going to get is going to be maybe, that's hard to say for sure, Half? 50 to 75% at the most. 
Okay. Well, that means you just spent, if I do the math correctly, twenty-five to fifty or plus thousand dollars for somebody else. Exactly. So my short answer to your question is: don't touch a thing. Yeah. Okay. I would I would concur with that as well. Yeah, but my expanded answer on that, and this doesn't apply to you, Linda, mm-hmm. but if you're if you want to remodel your home because you want more additional space for the kids or the grandkids, or if you want to put in a pool, do it for yourself. And okay. don't worry about how it affects value. You don't buy a pair of sneakers and worry about what it's going to cost to resell it later. You're going to use them. The same apply, Same can apply to real estate. Well, Linda, so, Lin- yeah, Linda, why don't you hold on? Our producer, Hope, will get your information so we can go ahead and follow up with you because I do feel like our next two callers have similar questions because you kind of seem like you started kind of like a great trend when you brought up bathrooms, Todd. Because, Tony, do you have a question about a bathroom as well? Tony? Yes. Thank you very much for calling the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Oh, thank you. Um, I do have a question for the appraiser. Um, I currently own a home and um, not planning on selling it anytime soon, but it only has one bathroom. Um, I was just wondering if I were to install a second one, uh, how much value that would uh, be put in to the, if it would be worth it or not. And I know Linda's call uh, previous seemed as though uh, he answered the question, but I'll just uh, sit back and let him respond to that. Thank you, Tony. Sure. Tony, what style of home do you have? Um, It's a uh, ranch, uh, split level. Okay, so you have one uh, one bathroom, I'm going to assume, on the upper level? That's correct. Okay, so you're looking to put one in in the basement. I I always say that style of home, you know, I'm assuming your basement is finished. It is. You generally want, when I do appraisals on homes similar to yours, they have a bathroom on the upper level and a full bathroom on the on the basement level as well. If you're not looking to move for a long period of time, make sure that you install this bathroom for you, not for the value of your home. You're installing because you want to use it or your kids or future grandkids or what have you. Don't do it for the value of your home. You're going to be there a while, so do it for you. So, Tony, where in town do you live? Um, I actually live in Cottage Grove. Okay. Um, Cottage Grove represents. <laughs> I live in Cottage Grove. Yeah. So, Small world. Yeah. You know, okay, from a real estate perspective, um, I, I concur with Todd. However, I can tell you that if you are going up against a house that's only got one bathroom um, versus a two-bathroom, the two-bathroom will win. Um, every time every time Mm -hmm. Um, people really looking for at least a minimum of two bathrooms they will take a one bathroom if it's a full Um, so if you've got the wherewithal and it's not an urgent project i i support a two two bathroom property upgrade for sure especially if it's a family with kids that are buying the house and there's a bedroom down in the basement uh families that i talk with all the time they'd like to have that additional bathroom in the basement for their kids yeah yeah, and I and I actually was thinking that my myself the when I purchased the home, the family prior actually had uh, two kids, and the size of my home, I I just shook my head thinking how could they 
How could they live here with one bathroom? So. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tony, for calling because uh, your question was outstanding. And uh, we'll, our producer will get your information. We can follow up with you later. And we're going to go to Matthew now. Matthew, you have an additional uh, question about a bathroom, but yours is really specific about what's in the bathroom, right? Yes. Go ahead, Matthew. What's your question? Just to piggyback off of that uh, uh, last question, it is a four-bedroom, two-bath split level. Okay, what's your upstairs, question? Upstairs bathroom is fully done. Uh, tub, they both have tubs, but we're looking at removing the tub uh, in the second bathroom in the finished basement. Why are you considering that? I want a stand-up shower. Okay. Todd, has that changed the valuation? <sighs> Honestly, not a significant amount, in, especially in relation to the cost you're going to incur to put it in. So this is definitely a situation where I would recommend doing it for you and for what you want. Because if you're doing it for the value of your home, you're going to take a loss. Um, the style of home you're, you're describing is kind of a lot like Tony's home as well. You have a split level, you have a bathroom matching the bedrooms on each level already. So remodeling one, if it was outdated and, and needed to be updated for, for marketability purposes, yes. But it sounds like you just want to walk in shower. I just want yes, you sir. to understand that the cost that you're going to incur, you're not going to get back immediately in, in a resale situation. Understood. I appreciate okay. your time. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for calling. Great question. Thank you, Matthew. And so uh, we really appreciate this. And Phil is giving away $50 to the Union Gospel Mission for each of the calls that come in today. So thank you so much for that. And we have one more caller on the line. And Ms. Shannon, what... We'll maybe get to that when we come back from our break. If you have a question, you can call us at 651-641-1071. We'll be right back on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Realtor with Remax Results. Also, Phil Olson from Amic Home Loans is here. And then our friend Todd Davis giving you some appraisal advice. We're also taking questions at 651-641-1071. Okay, so we thank you for all the callers. And please hang tight with us. We'll get to you really fast. But before we do that... What do people who own unique properties like waterfront properties, what are some of the concerns and things that you see in the field? Well, waterfront properties are, you know, any other unique property like uh, larger than the neighborhood as far as size. You know, if you have a home that has seven bedrooms, if you have, I mean, there's a lot of different options, but basically what is happening is your buyer pool is much lower than what is for a typical property. And sometimes if you don't get the right buyer that's looking at the time you're selling, you, you could, your number one thing you're gonna experience is longer marketing times that are typical. And depending on how patient you are, that's gonna affect you know, the sale price you're gonna achieve. If you need to sell and you have a unique home, you may be forced to drop your sale price to entice more sales. Well, let's just talk about some of the knockdown properties that we we see on different lakes. So you've got, say, 100 to 150 of uh, lakeshore footage, mm -hmm. but you've got what used to be a cabin, and it is nothing more than a cabin. And so people are trying to get valuation out of that because the land is so valuable because of the location. What sorts of things, I mean, should they knock it down? Should they sell it for the pure value of the land? Should they wait and let somebody come in and just try to do a bidding war? I mean, what are you seeing? Well, that's a situation where our term called highest and best use comes into play. And if the norm 
on that particular lake or area is older homes being torn down and rebuilt, that's your market. And it's a small market. Not everybody can afford to buy a perfectly functional home and tear it down and build something new on the on site. It, I, I do a lot of fishing. On Lake Vermilion, and uh, I see... I see a lot of houses that are torn down on that specific body of water, you know, where they, they tore down the, the one bedroom, two bath, little house, little mm-hmm. cabin. Next thing you know, you're seeing a $700 million home mm-hmm. being, being put on that property. But those types of situations, they're probably coming in and paying cash for that and knocking it down and then just having the wherewithal financially to do that. But somebody, let's just say that they are, they are inheriting something and they really do need an appraisal. Um, and they're still considering whether that cabin should be, you know, capped or whether it should be knocked down. Well, again, it goes back to even if you're, even if you're struggling with which way you want to go, the market is the market. And if the value is to knock it down and rebuild, that's how it should be marketed. If the market is to keep the existing home, then that would be You know, that's how it would be valued. It would be valued on the market. All right. Well, we're going to go to some calls about some existing homes. We'll start with Kirsten. Kirsten, thank you for calling the Red Hot Real Estate Show. What's your question? My question is we have a um, home that's built 91 on three acres in Zimmerman, and it's a rather large home. It's a four-level split, but it just has one finished bathroom and one rough-in bathroom on the lower finished level. And... um, the kids are all gone, so we're not needing it for the people that live there now, but we're probably going to retire and move in the next few years, 10 years maybe. Just wondering if, if finishing that second basement is going to be a worthwhile investment in it. Uh, you said that you're going to be moving soon, but maybe 10 years. Well, soon as far as we have um, our youngest is a junior in high school, so we have to get him done. So soon to me would be probably in the next three to 10 years, depending on retirement. Even though this kind of goes against what I usually recommend, I usually recommend if, if you're going to do remodeling, don't do it for someone else. However, you said that you have a large four level home on three acres with only one bathroom. Right. Generally a home of that size and that style, it's typical and expected for a second bedroom in the, or excuse me, a sep- second bathroom to be in that home. This is a situation where I would suggest you install one, especially if you have it roughed in. Half, not half, a large percentage of the cost is already covered by it being roughed in. Exactly. Um, I I concur with that, Kirsten. So I think from a resale perspective, you know, you're going to get a lot. You're going to get a lot for that second bathroom. Okay. And that's kind of what I was hoping to hear, Kirsten. I would like to finish it, but we haven't done an agreement on that. So, okay. <laughs> well, thanks for the call. Thank you. Thanks, Kirsten. And now let's go to John. John, thank you for calling the Red Hot Real Estate Show. What's your question this morning? Hey, John. Hi, how are you? Good. What's your question Good. for us? I got a, I got a, a home, two stories, 3,600 square feet down in Savage. We had like uh, about uh, a river goes around a property, one and a half acres, heavily wooded. Um, the rivers, uh, quite a river, they call that. It's about 700 feet of river front in China, so it's gives you outside aspect. Um, the home was built in 89, two-story, and the original owner uh, put on a new roof about 18 years ago, like 25-year-old shingles. It's starting to show it's wear, but it's not curling. But I did a little bit of patchwork up there. And trying to figure out, since I just got done replacing 14 
brand new windows with Anderson E Series clad, and also complete outside new vinyl siding eight years ago to go an extra step. What does it make sense to let the next owner possibly deal with the shingles that maybe last another five more years, or my resale value increase if I did my own, or not my own, but replaced it? Well, I I would say like shingles. like we did, John. Just pray for hail. But actually, what I was waiting for to come off. They said, you know, the, the hail's not didn't do it. Dang Aww. it! But, well, if he can't well, get hail, what should he do? That, that's a tough <laughs> well, one. Well, that's why I got the new windows. <laughs> That's definitely a tough one because a new roof for a property or a, a home you're describing is going to be very costly. Um, yet, if you try to sell this home with new windows and new siding and on the river and an acre and a half, at least it's unique. So if a buyer's looking for the riverfront and the acreage, you might get away with not replacing the roof, but you're in, it's a kind of a tough spot. People look at an 18-year-old roof and a lot of times move on to the next house. But again, your unique property could garner sales as well just for that in spite of the roof. That's, that's a tough one. The, the roof is a big expense, and I still think you're going to lose out on the end by remodeling it. But you might have difficulty selling it in a timely manner if you don't. When do you think you might be considering selling? Well, we're kind of like hoping maybe next uh, spring and into summer. And we already did a complete remodel. We did brand new tiles in a master bath, new tub in there, um, fireplaces in the master bedroom. I think you should. Downstairs. I think you should hang tight and have somebody come out and take a look at it, and then see the property, and then give a, a further opinion. As far as a lending perspective, if I could just interject real quick, I would tell you that as long as the roof is going to pass be it the home inspection and, ba- and pass the appraisal, as long as it passes those two specific elements, more than probably there's 95% chance whoever buys your property is going to need some form of financing. And as long as the roof passes, okay, you're going to be fine. And what Todd said about the u- property being unique and uh, all the special amenities that you have on, on this acreage property, I wouldn't do it. Okay. All right, John. John, why don't you hold on, and our producer, Hope, will get your information, and we're going to go to our final caller of today's show. Barb, thank you very much for calling the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Barb, what is your question? So my house is 26 years old. We live in Woodbury. It's a 3,000-foot, two-story home. Pretty much the whole house has been redone, and it's nice, but we've never recarpeted the bedrooms in the three upper stairs bedrooms, the kids' bedrooms. Do you recarpet them or do you just leave it? And you're, you have the original carpet? We do. In the three bedrooms, we have the original carpet, but it's not, it, there's a couple small stains, um, but nothing bad. We never let the kids eat in the bedrooms, and so the carpet still is relatively nice. And the house is how old, please? 26 years. Okay. Todd? I always say that if you're going to, depending on how soon you're planning to sell, we're floor, planning to sell in March. Okay. Floor coverings are something that even though you're doing it for someone else, I always recommend if you have dated and worn and, and visibly worn carpeting, you got to replace it. See, this makes okay. me want to kiss you. <laughs> <laughs> Barb, 
sorry. You just sounds like you did a great job of holding on to that yeah. information. Barb, I agree 125%. Get new carpet. It will yep. pay for itself so many times over. And do you put in the lower grade carpet or do you put in a mid or nicer carpet? That's what we're, do we just put in a, like a cheaper carpet? Well, I think that what we need to do is have a, a conversation because we're running out of time. If you can leave your contact info with our producer, Hope, we'll circle back with you and we'll talk about design and carpet and paint smells and all that fun stuff. Okay. <laughs> and we're definitely going to have to talk about this again. So let's start great with Todd. Con- where, do, call, where do we find you, Todd? If we need to find you, do we call Phil? What do we do? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm just a, a, a local appraiser here. Um, you can call Phil. You can call me. You have my contact information. Um, I'm easy to find. Yeah. And you can call Phil at callphilolson.com. That's callphilolson.com or 651-238-6748. And Mimi, where do we find you? Mimi at mnredhotrealestate.com or keyword red hot here at MyTalk. We always encourage you to find us at mytalk1071.com, keyword red hot.